your bulletin, so if you want to find a sheet of something and write on it, that'd be great. Uh, we're in our series still, Gospel 2020. That's going to go right into our Easter series in a few weeks. But uh, the title of this message today is Everything Goes Back to the Gospel, and I invite you to think with me. Would you think with me for a second? Can you think with me? Okay, I'm going to ask you a question. What if? What if Adam had never fallen into sin? Think about that for a second. What if our perfect relationship to God at that point, our perfect intimacy with God and with one another had never been disrupted, never been destroyed by Eve's deception and Adam's idolatry? What if? What if there was no Genesis 3 in your Bible? What if all creation had never known the tragedy of the curse. No, no death, no plague, no coronavirus, you know, no disease of any kind, no mutations, no cancer, no disabilities. <laughs> what would that do to the concept and the exercise of compassion? For example, compassion? Compassion for who? Compassion for what? What if we never journeyed down the dead-end relational street of hiding from other people, of deceit, of guilt, of shame, of blame? What if we, we knew ourselves and other people sincerely and perfectly with no fear, no insecurity, no jealousy, no perceived need to build myself up by tearing other people down? What if peace, what if peace went unnoticed because there was never any conflict to compare it to? <laughs> what if mercy were unheard of because no one deserved any sort of judgment or condemnation? I mean, how could you be merciful? The word wouldn't even really exist. There'd be no concept or context for it. The concept wouldn't enter our minds. And what of grace? What if grace never existed? Because all favor, if grace is undeserved or unmerited favor, undeserved, if all favor between God and man was never unmerited, what if grace never existed? What if forgiveness was impossible because there was nothing to forgive? What if there was no selfishness, no pride, no desire or wanting like First John talks about comfort covetousness and control what if that weren't the case outside of what if our only desire and passionate want was to be ever near to God and to one another fiercely passionate to do his will and always and only to glorify to manifest to declare his worth and his beauty and his character wait his character God's character. In the context of what I just described, what if Adam had never fallen into sin? What would we know about God's worth, beauty, and character? I think we'd know less. We'd know nothing about God's mercy, grace, and forgiveness because there'd be no opportunity for any of these to be, to be manifest. How can you forgive someone who's never broken relationship with you who's never broken your heart 
And think about God's love for a second. First John 4 says God is love. His agape, most of you know that Greek word, unconditional love. It just loves, it just gives God's love for even the one who hates in return. But wait, there would there'd be no hatred. No offense. So God's agape love would be utterly unseen, unknown, unheard of, undiscovered. And God's holiness, what about that? Holy means to be set apart, and we'd certainly know about God's uniqueness. He is different from us in essence. We'd know that by observation, but what of God's holiness being set apart in regards to evil and sin? We, that wouldn't be a foreign concept. And the gospel, the good news. Why would there be the good news if there were never any finish it? Bad news. Yeah, the gospel is God's message of victory. It's in the context of a battle. And the extent... The gospel is the extent to which God went to fight that battle for us. The gospel is, and this is the definition, it changes a little bit every time I say it, and just in the words used, but this is just getting ingrained into my soul, the triumphantly declared message that God has conquered sin, death, Satan, and hell through the life, death, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ, and has begun to reign in human hearts by the presence of his spirit, indwelling and empowering their forgiven souls. So God's victory is in you by faith, but there was a battle. And then it lives out from you into that very battle, the territory of fallen Hostile forces. You are God's life in the midst of the zombie apocalypse. (laughs) The fact of the dark makes the light stand out. The fact of the tasteless and the rotting makes the salt ever so delicious and the fresh ever so attractive. So what if Adam had never fallen into sin? We know God... So much more, folks, because we know how far he had to travel to get to us. So the gospel is everything. And everything goes back to the gospel. And if you and I don't see the gospel in everything, then I don't think we're seeing the fullest extent of reality. Now, you might say, oh, come on, Jerry, you're on cloud nine here again. I mean, uh, take the coronavirus, for example. You're telling me that everything goes back to the gospel, including the coronavirus. What's the gospel have to do with that? I think it has a lot to do with it. As any other disease, as any other brokenness and, and thing that makes us susceptible in life to that thing. It's, an, it's, it's all about illustration. Illustration is a picture, right? An illustration is something visual you can see and observe that represents something else 
that's more abstract. It's, it's kind of like an owner's manual. The owner's manual tells you in words how to put that lawnmower together or that kid's toy, <clears throat> excuse me, together. It tells you in words, step one, step two, step three. But then it has what? Pictures, illustrations, pictures of what you just read about. And sometimes we get lost in the words, and then we look at the pictures, and it's like, oh, I see. I see it now. Aha. Well, coronavirus, well, it spreads. People are afraid. It hinders relationships. It causes us to self-protect, to be self-absorbed, to hoard toilet paper. It influences our behavior. I don't know of one person that was hoarding toilet paper a few weeks ago, do you? It does damage to life, even from the inside out. And that looks a lot like sin. And also there's a battle. So yeah, I see the gospel in that. But that's not what I want to talk about today. I want to give you four major, say major, major areas of life and show you that those areas illustrate the gospel. Actually, I'm only going to give you three because that's probably all I'm going to have time for, I think. But those areas are marriage, say marriage, parenting, say that, work, and food. And you'll be glad to know that food is the one I'm probably going to leave off today. And what I would like to see, what I've prayed about, is that the Holy Spirit would accomplish today, not that you'd leave here and say, wow, I see that my marriage has, has some things about it that are sort of like the gospel. Now, see, if that is what you leave with, then you leave with next to nothing. What I want you to see is that the gospel is first. It's the paramount. It's the real thing forever. And your marriage is the illustration. Your marriage is all about the gospel. Not that the gospel is sort of like your marriage. It's not marriage and, oh yeah, the gospel. It's gospel and therefore my marriage. So let's start there. You ready? If you're ready? Okay, let's do it. Marriage, Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Selah. Stop and think about that. That's what that means in Hebrew. Submit to one another. That means everybody submitting to one another. Okay, let's go on. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, which she doesn't always do, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. What's that passage about? <coughs> is it about marriage? Sort of. Yeah, it is. But it's about how the church loves and submits to the ones she loves. So, so picture God in heaven saying this. Hey, Gabriel, come here. Gabriel, come over here. I want to show you something. Look down there. You see that guy over there? He's being a selfish jerk to his wife. Look at him. But watch her. Watch her, Gabriel. Do you see her gentle, respectful response to him? Do you see how she reasons with him without bitterness? 
in all wisdom and humility. But in the end, she submits to him, even though she knows he's wrong. Do you know why she does that, Gabriel? It's because I rule and reign in her heart. She knows she is the living picture illustrating the church's love and respect for Jesus. It's not because he deserves it, Gabriel. It's because I won the victory and I rule and reign in her. She loves me with the love that I have poured out into her and she loves him with that same love. Bingo. The gospel is the reality. (coughs) Your marriage (coughs) is the illustration. It's not coronavirus, it's just a dry throat, okay, because I'm I'm talking. Let's keep going, Ephesians 5.25 this time. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So let's go to the heavenlies. God says, Michael, Michael, come here. Look at this gal. Do you see how she disrespects her husband in her words and attitude? But watch him, Michael. Do you see how gently he responds? See how he considers her point of view? See how he seeks her pleasure and happiness even when nothing seems to make her happy? Do you know why he does that, Michael? Why he gives even when nothing is given in return? He does that because of me. He is living in the power of my spirit to paint the picture of my love for this imperfect church. He is loving me, Michael, and he is loving her with the love that I've poured into his heart by my spirit. He is being like me to my church. The gospel in your marriage. Folks, the gospel's the reality, your marriage is the illustration. Does that make sense to you? Because I don't think the church sees it that way in America. I think we see us in our context first and foremost. And we forget about the gospel. It's in this little box on a shelf. How about parenting? What of parenting for a second? How does parenting go back to the gospel? Well, reading Ephesians 6, 1, children, you're part of this too. Rats, they're downstairs. Okay, obey your parents. What's it say? In the Lord, for this is right. Verse 4, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This is, this is pretty simple, really, when you think about it. What does God call himself? Our heavenly father. Now, father is a traditionally a male role. Is God a man? Jesus is, was, he came as a man in his incarnate form, but God is spirit. He said in John 4, he's not a man, but he calls himself, he communicates himself to us as father. And he does that to communicate and connect with something that we understand in our human relationships. And that is the authority that God gave to parents to love and teach their children. Just as the seed 
of an earthly father enters the womb of an earthly mother when they are intimate, and she bears a child, and that child developed from the very DNA of its parents, and that earthly couple discipline provide for and teach that child. That's only an earthly picture of the spiritual reality of Jesus as the bridegroom. And the seed of the word of God enters into the womb, the heart of the church, in the power of the indwelling spirit, his bride, and she, the church, bears children out of that intimacy. People are born again out of the intimacy of Christ in the church. And the very DNA of the child is the indwelling spirit of God, the spiritual DNA. And the church then is to discipline and provide for and teach those children. And so it's not that in our parenting we see similarities of people coming to Christ and being discipled. No, that's not it. It's it's that people coming to Christ and being discipled, being born again, that's the eternal reality. That's forever. They enter the family of God. In our parenting, we're called to emulate, to make much of, to show forth the glory of that reality. Everything goes back to the gospel. How about work? How does work go back to the gospel? Many of you guys and gals spend 40, 50, even 60 plus hours per week at your jobs. Does that have anything whatsoever to do with the gospel? Well, I think it does. I think it goes way back to Genesis 1.27. God created man in his own image. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they'll be yours for food. Jump to Genesis 2.15. It says, The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. See, mankind, including you and I, were part of God's image bearers, stewarding, working in the physical realm on behalf of God. Colossians 3 tells us straight up that when we work as believers, it's the Lord Christ that we are serving, not your boss, not your company. It's him. Listen to it. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. A lot of that slavery stuff in the New Testament is more a contractual labor thing. I'm not minimizing the fact that there was slavery there, but a lot of it is what we would place under an employer-employee relationship. It says, and do it not only when their eye is on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ you're serving. Isn't that cool? You, you and I have heard the gospel and believed, I hope, and trust. You've had the image of God to work and to serve Him. You've had that image restored or it's being restored, even as he has begun to reign. The process of restoration is ongoing. So you work and serve the Lord, 
as his image bearer. Everything goes back to the gospel. Work goes back to the gospel. So if you and I go to our job and all we see is a paycheck and a nasty, grumpy boss that nobody likes, and we don't see a mission field there, and we don't have humility there, and we don't have a desire to make my boss look good and my company prosper, then I don't think we're seeing 2020 vision in the fullest light of eternity because everything goes back to the gospel. You serve Christ there. You know, we're closing off here in just a couple minutes, but sin and death began when God was lied about. You realize that? Think about it in the garden. Satan deceived, the serpent deceived Eve. And ever since then, God has been revealing the truth about himself ever since that time. Through his word, through his son, he is setting the record straight. God is not one to hold out on us. He is one who gives who reveals himself in infinite vulnerability, he gives himself away extravagantly. And folks, if there were no sin, no Satan, no self, no death and hell, that sort of set the stage for God to give and forgive and love those who take and who harbor bitterness and hatred then we would not know of God's grace, would we? The gospel is sort of woven into the fabric of human relationships and all creation. And this is because we were created to love God and love each other. That's what we were designed to do. And just as sin and death set the stage for God's grace to be more fully revealed Sin and death also set the stage for us to manifest the grace and love of God that has been poured out into us by His Holy Spirit. 